we disdain to conceal our views and aims. Oh yeah. Let the ruling class tremble at revolution. Oh yeah. Nothing to lose but your chains and a world to win. Oh yeah. Working men of all countries unite. Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition. A podcast where we are going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The greatest show for the coming revolution. I, I don't know. They, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's, the, it's the greatest show to quote Karl Marx. The scion, <laughs> right. the scion of Dreher. Yeah, there's a lot of lefty bullshit up in. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, with me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey, God. hey comrades. And Hugh Crawford. Hello. How are we doing? I'm um, all right. Uh, my name is Wade Bowen. Yes, we're getting into some more Ferengi shit and other stuff in this episode, which is called Bar Association. Yes, this episode is episode 15 of season four. It originally aired on February 19th, 1996. Here is the IMDb description. Unfair working conditions and pay cuts cause Rom to organize an, a union of the employees of Quark's bar. Meanwhile, Worf still finds it hard to settle on the station. Yeah, so yeah. this is no secret where we stand politically as like a trio. So this is, in, in, this, in the age of Trump, this is a sort of a... Nice respite, isn't it, yeah. of television? <laughs> yeah. I, I like to focus on the B plot. I thought that was really well developed. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, that's, James doesn't care much for that union stuff. No, no. He wants to focus on Worf. I have trouble finding, out, outside of the A plot, because I think we're going to talk about the B plot. The A plot is pretty, like, all around, from every real way to look at it, that I can look at it. I think it's pretty fucking awesome. I think it's a tight ass, enjoyable, important even show, not only like socially, but also it develops characters very well. Like, and it, it's got a lasting impact on the show. It's good stuff, man. This is, this is good. Yeah. This is one of the hallmarks of the series because yeah. it shows that you can have non-Federation characters grow over a period of time. And you've got that with Rom. I mean, this is a, this is a Rom episode. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a little heavy handed and um, it's a little bit like a union will tell me more. It's felt a little bit like propaganda, if you ask me. Well, you know, we don't have we don't have a lot of episodes where we can point to this much character growth. We don't have a Dax episode that's that's this important. Yeah. You know, we don't have this year episode that's that shows this much growth. Right. Well, because they're, they're all Federation. So they've already grown. I mean, if we're doing the Roddenberry rules, you know, oh, yeah, humanity's evolved. They're Federation people already. But when we're dealing with aliens, like specifically the Ferengi, we can, you know, make them learn how to be better, uh, you know, socialists. And now that you look back on it, from the, from the scope of history, it was a necessary episode that we should have seen coming. No, it was um, <laughs> like that it was, if you're going, I mean, it, in some ways it's a no-brainer. If you're going to have these ridiculously, like laughably capitalistic greedy race of aliens and then you have them intermixing with non greedy capitalists in the whole thing it's just it's a powder keg for you know this kind of thing to happen and it's really interesting and the show is really smart not just to give it to ron but to give it to max grocheck grodenchek right because he's yeah. fucking great in this yeah he's pretty good right and i, I mean, mean yeah if the ferengi are an acknowledged analog to 20th century humans. Yeah. And you're going to do a show with all this kind of series arcs and everything. And you're going to do a show about this utopian kind of evolved or humanity that's moved on to this kind of post-scarcity kind of socialist kind of thing. I mean, if you're going to have it, characters that are interesting that have arcs for the series, it's almost a no brainer to show these 20th century analogs, i.e. us, Mm -hmm. how we can grow as a culture and maybe, and I, I mean, I guess that's the argument for people that don't share some of the beliefs of some of us that like, they're like, fuck you, man. Don't tell me not to be a capitalist. The labor movement in America has died quite a, like a thousand deaths over the last 30 years. And, yeah, yeah, you know, and I think that this was a moment in time probably where it was dying, but still kind of there in 95. 
96. And I, I do think that like it could have met with a lot of resistance. Like I think it would have like I think that the Proud Boys and the 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 there would be a lot of uh, mundane Matt YouTube videos yeah, yeah. angry at the show for ruining their good sci-fi time if this aired now. But oh, but, totally, yeah. But I do think that like it, this is a, I mean this is a surprise. This in 1995, this quotes Karl Marx positively. <laughs> right, like that is a yeah. ridiculous. It is it is kind of shocking that it's that well that that or well, you know it's written by these. These Hollywood elites. It is. And, yes. you know, the, the the writer's union is like one of the, you know, it, it is a pretty well established union mm-hmm. that of of anybody running television mm-hmm. is probably a member of the union. And most of them are, are pretty supportive of the a, writer's guild. And you know? and Armin Shimmerman was an officer in the Screen Actors Oh, really? Guild. At the time? Yeah, at yeah. This he's, time? A, he's a comrade. Like he's with us, and like he, right, uh, right, right. I knew that yeah. he was very much uh, like a like a shepherd of this episode. Oh no! Like because he knew that it was in development, and and he's a he's a union guy. So he was like he, I think, still is maybe. But at that time, he was he wasn't just a member of the Screen Actors Guild. He was he was an officer. Yeah, like I think he had an office at the headquarters or something. Wow. So mm. yeah, yeah. So that was kind of what he was. Huh. I, I mean, ironically, that's like. Ron Reagan was the head of the Screen Actors Guild too. <laughs> but, right, right. Well, then he gave his then, right. Then he gave his his famous speech in, yes. when he was running as yeah. yeah. Do we want to get the B plot out of the way or just talk about it? Yeah, let's 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 savage this B plot first. Savage, savage, savage. Okay, <laughs> I don't, wow. do you like it? Yeah, I don't hate it. It's hate so it. short. There's not much to it. There's not so much to hate. I don't think I understood a single beat of it. To be honest Worf with you, Worf is and it's 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 just like we're gonna progress the Worf Jedzia love plot incrementally. Well, well, also we're slowly giving Worf his own command. So because this uh, this airs in February nineteenth, nineteen ninety six, mm-hmm. we have to get Worf on that Defiant for July. Oh, oh so we can get him to the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we have to have. I'm not kidding. Yeah, that that's exactly what. It, like four, like six months from now, his ass needs to swoop in and on that ship <laughs> yeah. for a big summertime movie. Yeah, and they, you know, they, yeah, they knew that movie was coming. So that's yeah, not well, a well, the movie was, you know, yeah, they he's written in the Fiance all is in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it was in, you know, how do we get in <laughs> post production? Probably, I'm sure principal photography it probably wrapped right 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 oh um, no november 22nd 1996 is one first contact it was a fall movie oh but still i mean that's yeah, exactly these things it. are like a year yeah that's true. right but then and then jazia gets like oh mr wharf you're you're in love and he gets all flustered but what are you what are you talking about with the defiant not me <laughs> or yeah we know where that's going the whole b-plot is that wharf experiences a series of irritations yeah that all all aren't connected it's it's events. everything it's every episode we've had notes and every time he's shown up it's we're just further showing that he's uncomfortable on the station he doesn't like people coming to room unannounced and he doesn't like how odo it's all rehashing all the points we've already hit he doesn't like how odo runs things there's he goes into Odo and says the security because there somebody stole his tooth sharpener. That oh man, the callback to the tooth sharpener was great. Yeah, yeah. you didn't like that, James? I don't know. Like it's just it's weird. It's weird, and I felt that was underdeveloped. So he catches a guy like they're just he's walking with Jadzia, so they have to get all of these different points. They have to get him with Jadzia, and they have to get him. <laughs> With Adam Scott and Neil Madonna to to the fight the Borg cube, so they had to do these two things. You're right; they have like work to do with these things. So he's going there, and someone on the like I guess they like he he hits on the drop ceiling, and a and a robber oh, yeah. drops out because right. she she's like, I think I'm really picking up the mechleth, and he's <laughs> like, If you're fishing for a compliment, I'm not giving you one. I'm a Klingon, damn it! And she's like, But I'm not. I'm a I'm a sexy lady. Don't you want to compliment me? And he's like, Well, blah, blah, blah. Oh, there's a guy. Yeah, they're moving them along on the road to fucking. They coincidentally fight the guy who's robbing Worf, and then but that's unimportant. It's just important it's, because it makes Worf irritated. It gets him to Odo and moves him on to the next scene where they re. They're just hitting points they've already hit where he's yelling at no, Odo. No, I'm not saying you're wrong on that. I just don't think that it amounts to a plot. Oh, man. 
that that Odo scene, yeah. that Odo scene where he talks about how this stuff never happened. Basically, he moved to a, a shitty neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and he's not happy about it, and he's just belly aching about to everybody. But I don't understand. You don't understand why he's belly aching about going from a. I don't from get how, a, like multi. I get. I, I part of me gets it. I get that like what they're trying to do, but I don't get how sleeping on the ship in any way, because the ship is like wedged. Into the deep space nine. Well, I, th- that's the thing. Is the ship basically? He just wants. It's like he's used to sleeping on a submarine. Yeah, yeah. And he's back into a submarine again because everything on that ship is just like is is Federation. Right, stuff, and he's and he's a little bit I separate. Think. He doesn't hear have to hear his. Na- if you if you live in an apartment building and you hear your neighbors up and be- below you making noise, like if you say you live a be- below a shapeshifter who's just turning into animals and running around all night. And, you know, he doesn't like that. And he just, he likes being on a ship. He gets to be in a ship where he doesn't have neighbors above and below him or to his side. And he can just, and it's its own little room. He can play the Klingon opera that Jadzia gives him at whatever volume he wants without getting complaints sent to Odo about it. And then also he won't get as many visitors just springing in unannounced. He will get it every time a problem arises where they have to take the defiant out and they wake him up, I guess. But I guess, I guess I'm just right, like, yeah. I, I guess yeah. I'm not seeing that like how this is an interesting plot. Like if it went somewhere, well, it's that, it doesn't. It's like five minutes of the whole episode, though. I don't think it's that interesting in the sense. I think it's interesting. It's supposed to be interesting for an audience member who's a fan of. Next generation, and they're seeing how this transplant fits into this this new world. That might be the I element that I'm missing. I think that's what, how it's supposed to be. Okay, yeah. They're like, oh look, it's not like the Enterprise. Oh, I just love seeing him in this new like right, contrast right. him, you know, against the Enterprise, his old Enterprise life. And meanwhile, he still has to have a foot firmly planted in the Enterprise franchise because he's going to show up in their movie in like eight months. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's there's a little bit of a balancing act behind the scenes and they assume that a certain amount of that's interesting to the fans. Because yeah. they did. They shoehorned, they shoehorned this very famous character into the show that didn't need him. Like, or want him. In the <laughs> overall arc, he wasn't a part of their original yeah. plans. Yeah. So and then they had a few episodes after they shoot Hordeman where he had one line, <laughs> right? So we were kind of due for a a wharf plot. Wharf those fit plot, yeah. I, I, I get it. He's homesick that it's uh that he's uncomfortable. I get all that. I just I wish it was like I wish they could have wedged all of that and done all of that fan service into like something and I thought that he was gonna I mean I like I thought he was gonna fuck What's her face? I forget where the first fuck. I know that's it's an event. Yeah, but but they're setting. It I up. think at, at this point we're not ruining anything. Yeah, yeah we're not ruining any, if any anything. Right. You know, we're pretty well. I'm just saying. I think you're yeah. right, James. Yeah. I think the last two two episodes in a row they get sweaty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you watch this and episode, you know. Window. Oh, they're gonna they they're gonna fuck. I even thought that they were doing a thing when he when he breaks the picket line to go into Quark's bar. I thought they were going to do a thing when 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 uh, Joe Hill O'Brien goes in there to like <laughs> rough up Worf for breaking a picket line. I thought they were going to do a thing where he was going to the Hollow Suite. He's not missing an appointment with Jed Z. Uh, oh, that would have been no matter what. That would be no. I was like, wait, you thought they're gonna war- weave the B plot in? No, oh but, <laughs> no, exactly. No, was, you're right. That would have been a way to do it. Yeah, and so if, if he was going to the Hollow Suite and not this is Star Trek, we don't have to weave our B plots <laughs> in. Have you learned? Have you learned nothing? But that would have been interesting because then you would start seeing because at no point do they really show that. Worf is having a growing attachment to Jadzia. Jadzia has always been sort of portrayed as like a nosy neighbor kind of thing. So like her interest in Worf is, doesn't necessarily have romantic overtones yet, even though they're clearly coding it for that. Like right. I thought like I mean, at some point they would have a m- I don't know. moment. Her like Mr. Worf, you're in love. Oh, I'm so flustered. I think that's pretty. Yeah, overt. but that's all cutesy. No, that's all cutesy writing stuff. They're they're The writers what? are sending you a message. But there's no point where they send a message when those two send a message to each other. And I thought that other than that, uh, other than the vapors in the room, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, like his his like his sweat brow and him his big old gulp. Well, uh, yes. when she comes on to him, staring at a woman's tits does not necessarily mean you're in love with her. Thank God. 
Um, but uh, like, I think that that's yeah. I, I just I thought they were building towards a moment, and there weren't. They were building towards a wharf, getting a new apartment on a ship. Yeah. I don't know. Yes. Well, here's the thing. This is this is exactly why I'm glad I don't have like an RV in my backyard <laughs> because I'm almost positive that my kids at some point would get pissed at having to live under my house. Yes, would want to move into the RV. We're good. Her, oh, you're going to have to learn to adapt to this place, and his maybe you'll have to adapt to me. That's I mean, not, that's not that's a pretty kick-ass line. That's yeah. that's a fine that's a cool wharf line, and I like cool wharf lines. Um, I, I do think that it's one of those plot situations where at the end you're going, this is not a lasting solution to this problem. <laughs> like if you had a if if the Hugh Crawford show ended with an episode where your daughter goes and lives, sleeps in the RV. You, you, it ends with right. the overtones of that's not a solution. That's not a livable solution to that problem that will have to be revisited next <laughs> right. week. Yeah. But so, this, this is, this is right. them doing a serialized arc where Worf and yeah, uh, yeah, Jadzia have a relationship that develops. In November, my daughter's got to like rescue some friends in a different movie <laughs> in that RV. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, I think that's why they did it. All right, let's talk about this A plot. The, the B plot, whatever I'm mealy mouthing it, it, it doesn't ruin the A plot well, at all. I'd like to, I want to talk a little bit about the Odo scene oh, yeah. with him because that was a great scene because Odo has receipts. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts. Favorite parts about this this episode. Yeah, this this never happened. This never happened on oh, the yeah, Enterprise. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and he in that slow <laughs> delivery that he and he's so deliberate with that delivery. Unfortunately, these things happen. They did not happen on the Enterprise. Really? Oh, let me see. Of all of yeah. the uh, shitty stuff that happened on the. Under his watch as chief of security, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's like all that, all those shenanigans exactly. are basically Worf yes. no moments. Right. Were any of those from actual episodes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They all were. I, I assume were. they were. I mean, I just wanted, uh, yeah, I wanted yeah, to check were. in with our, I didn't do look we, it up. Do we think, since we're always looking for meta plots, do we think that that was writers commenting about how fans are always bitching about what Deep Space Nine's doing with their plots? And not realizing that Next Generation did the same thing. Oh shit! I bet you're probably right. I it just occurred to me that just right. occurred to me. Like, no, no, I I think that that that's def. There's some of that definitely. In yeah, there. you're ruining Star Trek. You'd have never had done this on the Next Generation, and then like then the, that's the writers showing <laughs> receipt. Bitch, please. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. I I, I, I want to say that that was probably included in. Let's say, yeah, because it's more fun that way. It is more fun. And I, I do think that these writers were vindictive little little bitches. I like them. <laughs> I like them. They're good guys. I think they were. I think they carried receipts. I, I think they're those kind of people. <laughs> Back to the A plot. We have got Rom. Starts, it all starts with an ear infection. Oh, it hurts. And let me tell you, I, I've been suffering from a three-month ear infection. I, I feel I feel for Rom in this episode. <laughs> right. I hate anything that has to do with the lobes and stuff. That's The ear shit's oh. gross to me. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I've got... Yeah, yeah. He's got, a, he's got an ear infection that he's passing out from because he's been just jacking it too much. I didn't right. make that... So, oh, my God. I didn't make that association. He's... He's got he's got a he's got a masturbation related injury. Holy shit! Did they did they draw the right, parallel of the that's show? They, that's how they get their rocks off. Yeah, with their yeah. Ears. Umox is yeah. what. They no, call, I know, yeah, but, he, but did he say that I have the infection because of the Umox? He he does. He said, "Well, you're right. He yes, does. He does. He's like, well, I've, well, yeah. oh, well. Yep. First off, it's it's Bajoran Ramadan, so nobody's in the bar because it's the." <laughs> It's the it's a time of atonement or something. So and so no, there's no business going on. And it's like you saying the shaft of my dick is so chafed. So like <laughs> right. chase right. masters that you pass out from it. Yeah, he's like it's <laughs> that, you, that you fall over at work because you've been because your shaft. Yeah, is he so pours chafed. the he pours Moogie's remedy in his ear, which and, is weird that your mom's got a remedy for that. Right, right. <laughs> because she and this we're, we also set up that Lashi, that Lita. And Bashir, I said Lashir. Lashir is their couple name. That's, that's their People magazine that's definitely name. Definitely their couple yeah, name. Uh, the People magazine name, Lashir. Yeah. When did that start happening? Uh, it, when she showed up and said, uh, when he showed up, which, and then he showed Jadzia the go away iPad. Yeah, but that's that he was wanting to fuck her. But like, yeah, I guess that's true. But she okay. comes up. She, I mean, all the only thing she got to do in that episode was to come up to him and say, 
you want to fuck? Mm-hmm. And he said, yes, get out of here. And Yeah. And by the way, I, we can probably talk about her later, but she's putting a clinic on of, of turning a tiny role into into like a major like work oh, getting yeah, a major yeah. uh, getting a routine paycheck right chase masterson is is put on a clinic yeah and then rom is rom is all about to pass out and they put some vaseline on the lens and throw him around a little bit <laughs> and quark is, says you know like when lita stands up for him it's like quark is like look just because you're intimately acquainted with bashir's bedside manner it's one of the few times where they explicitly say y'all fucking. Yeah, and then and she passes out. And she's like, oh, and he's like, well, I've probably been getting too much umox. And then she's like, oh, she's playing the friend of his. It's like, oh, tell me all about her. Oh, who's the lucky lady? He's like, oh, uh, no, 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 it's it's probably just 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 me. And then she gets real uncomfortable. And she's like, uh, <laughs> right, um, uh, I, I'm 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 sorry. I'm. Sorry. And he's like, oh, that's okay. You want to jack me off right now? Sorry enough to do something about it? <laughs> She's yeah, like, uh, how, how sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think Julian would approve. Which means they're steady, which is weird too, because I don't know. But like, I feel like we've had right. Bashir episodes where yeah, she two, hasn't just, come up. Just a few episodes ago, he was jacking off in fucking Hollow Kira, and the... he was visiting the Hollow Suites. Yes. <laughs> sorry, him and Garrick have it on the down low. His girlfriend yeah. doesn't know about it. <laughs> His yeah, they don't give him sick time, and then at this point he comes he in. He goes to Bashir, and he's got a seeping infection of the tympanic membrane. He could have died in another forty-eight hours. He'd be bidding on a new life at the Divine Treasury. And you know what? You should start a union or something. Julian mm-hmm. says. What you people need is a union. And he's like, oh, oh, oh what? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and it, it does start to outline that that actually or unionizing is. A is illegal right, yeah. in their culture. I could never do that. You know, contract paragraph seven of subsection three is any, any employees of Quark's Bar and Holding Company are strictly prohibited from taking any time off unless ordered to do so. It's a standard provision in every Ferengi contract. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, is that the Ferengi as a culture nipped that shit in the bud 10,000 years ago. And they, they're fully aware of what unions are. Yeah, but yeah. they've just, it's a complete taboo. Oh, in yeah. Their, yeah. Well, in I mean, culture. and if this is the whole kind of analog to us and especially America, I feel like, no, oh, oh Ferengis don't want to stop at the exploitation. They want to be the exploiters. We want to find a way to become the exploiters, which is like what they tell poor people. You know, that's kind of the Republicans. This script is fucking gold, man. This This script gets it. Like, it's. Like that 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 line is a is a very telling line. Right, right. And that was when I like when I was when I was watching it. Just for a lot of being a left leaning podcast, a lot of people have talked about this episode, and I totally forgot it. And so I was like, okay, I'm looking forward to it. And um, I know it's a big. I mean, like I know that it's talked about in the book Treconomics, right? Yes, it is. There's a lot of talking about this episode. So I knew that it was a thing that was going to come here. But once it was once once we got to it, I was like, oh, this shit, this is pretty. It's pretty woke, man. This is pretty like this is getting it right. Yeah, and yeah. so and that line especially showed that they really did get down to the sort of the, the 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 theory of it. And they come back to it again later on when Quark tries to bribe Rom. But um I guess the whole thing is what's going on, like environmentally, is that this there is some sort of like lint that the Bajorans go through where they don't... Yeah, yeah. For a whole month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's why I called it the Ramadan. Uh, so they go through this whole... Yeah, they go through this whole thing and uh, fucks up the, the cash flow of the bar. Right. And then so Quark, Quark is going to... Quark just kind of sees it as an opportunity, too. He's like, oh, he could pay... Oh, yeah, 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 He's like, oh, I'm going to cut the sa- cut your salary, everybody's salary by a third. And they're like, what? They can't... Or I could just cut half the staff. It's like... It all depends on the next quarter's fiscal summation, like a fucking corporation. When do we have a bad quarter? You know, shit happens. Yeah, I remember in like in two thousand was it two thousand and nine, the job I was in came in and they were like, uh, "We're asking everyone at your level to uh, forego a, a salary or a, a, a wage increase yeah. for the next year. We're just freezing them all, and we're even asking the higher ups to take a pay cut." And I was like. It's two. I mean, it was two thousand and nine. The stock market had crashed, and but like, people 
like our company hadn't crashed yet. Yeah, it was like yeah. clearly that they were just taking on a. We saw an opportunity with the rest of the market. We saw an opportunity while you're too scared to do anything about it. Yeah. You'd already had the Bashir saying that you should start a, a, a union. What you people need is a union. So that's been said in Rom's thing. Rom almost died, so he's already got antipathy towards Quirk. And we've well established at this point in the show that Rom has wasted potential in other fields, which obviously comes into play way later. But um, so that's all been established. So it all culminates into this moment where he gets all these guys together and unionizes and like yeah, starts all, to union. he has a big staff meeting with all these Ferengi in it. And they, they're scared to even say the word because are you insane? The, yeah. They treat you the word union like Voldemort. So that's great. You've just destroyed the lives of every Ferengi in this room. And that, yeah, they, there's a great scene where there, where Rom gets everybody fired up and they decide to, to unionize. And it's sort of like that's where Rom is sort of starts his transformation from being this right, right beat beat down. Like he has agency for the first time in his entire life, mm-hmm. and it's over this new concept that goes against his whole right, right. culture. So it's a, it's a weird way he's being reborn into something new. Mm-hmm. Like he's no longer quite Ferengi anymore. Which, like we said, enables him to become something else later on. All it takes is just saying the word union in the meeting, and they're just like, you said the word, now the FCA is going to be on our back. And he's like, you know what, you're right. Mm -hmm. They're going to be on us, so you know what, fuck it. (laughs) We're we're in this now, so we might as well follow it through. And, And he does. You know, it's like, be strong, take control of your lives, of our dignity, and our profits. So then he gets into this... He goes to this uh, sort of great sort of scene where he runs. I guess inconsequentially, we should we should say that the episode starts. I think we skipped over this. The episode starts with Bashir and O'Brien oh. doing one of their reenacting a, a yeah, historical yeah, 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 battle, yeah. and there there there's like a big battle where the Irish fought the, the Vikings, the, the Battle of Clontarf, and they're like, "Oh, how come you give it to like King Brian Baru, who's my." Because all of O'Brien's ancestors are are famous, apparently. By the way, that would theoretically uh, anybody named O'Brien is actually descended from Brian Baru. Okay, so that's actually a real thing. Well, yeah, he's son of Brian. That makes sense. So they play that off. So they establish that, and then they play that off later when after Rom's after the first meeting decides to to start the union, he goes back to Bashir. Who told him about the union and he's like tell me all you know about unions and Bashir's yeah, like, like i don't know shit yeah, about unions <laughs> like, but then they go he goes back and then o'brien has like this sebaceous cyst on his back yeah which is weird where he's just like get it off me julian get it they off. have a whole scene about o'brien's cyst which is just weird yeah yeah like did this episode have time to kill like i don't really <laughs> <but> <laughs> right i guess so uh but yeah o- o- julian is like oh yeah i know what a union is but o'brien it's like union. Oh, let me tell you about my other family. Which... So yeah, it's O'Brien. O'Brien. It's apparently a hard unionist, hard, yes. which is very weird because they probably didn't. I mean, like they probably didn't have unions. Like he's probably never seen a union because there's no real need for one because man is supposed to be developed from all of that for hundreds of years now. Right, so his, but... I, I like that they cast him as like a Walter Sobchak kind of like a <laughs> right. like a right. character. But if you live in a com- this kind of communist post scarcity thing, where the whole world is kind of socialist, and you're going to look at your famous family, like I look back at no, my I agree. That, family, I like that. That you're going to be like, oh, the union. They're going to romanticize that shit in the future because they kind of live in that society. Yeah, but it didn't seem like he had a literary affinity for him. It seems like he had like, but I love that about it. That O'Brien is this like is this uh, hard yeah, union yeah. guy. Oh, oh, oh. Let me tell you about the the Pennsylvania coal miners anthracite strike of 1902, which mm-hmm. uh, O'Brien, this you know our Irishman, talking about his yes. Sean O'Brien in Pennsylvania. I've learned from Pogue songs that most Irish stories are about Americans. <laughs> yeah, well, there's more Irish people that live yeah in in the USA than live in Ireland, right? Yep. So. Yeah. Except, except the Irish don't claim them anymore. But on St. Patrick's Day, they all claim Ireland. American American immigration is a huge ele- element to Irish culture, right? And I, I, yeah, so that he did this sort of 
that uh, that he was not only that he was a leader of a coal mining strike, but he actually died. Right, right. And that he was murdered. And that gave, like, there was a the, martyr for, like, Rom. And so Rom yeah, now yeah. idealizes this Sean O'Brien. Just like Sean O'Brien. Exactly. Had the yes. biggest funeral in all of Pennsylvania. They had 32 bullets. So it emboldens him, and they, they, they set about establishing a picket line. And they, uh, so you do this, this, you set this picket line, and um, there, there's the great scene where they actually tell, they confront Worf with their demands. Quark. And not Worf. Quark. Quark. <laughs> yeah, they, they, Quark did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been super weird. The guild of, of, uh, bar and casino employees. Yeah. And so they, they establish all these bylaws, which, Having to go through a bylaw for an organization right now, I don't envy all of the orgas- all the, the operational stuff that Rom had to do to get that established. Oh, yeah. And um, it's all framed as Rom as this super strong guy who's sort of breaking down on the sidelines. But like, if he, but he, but like, not only that, but he's doing it in front of Leela. Leela. So I think it's point, you know, that they're they're doing Leela stuff too. Lita. It's not paid off. That's oh, yeah, Lita, yeah. but they're not. That's not paid off in this episode. Uh, they're doing great Layla stuff. I believe the Eric Clapton song is based off of this uh, particular episode. Well, you're casting it as uh, if it's Layla, then Rom is uh, is Eric Clapton, and uh, <laughs> Bashir is George Harrison. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's basically how it goes. Yeah, but uh, uh yeah, right. <laughs> Next week's episode, Ascension, is is uh, based off the song's Tears in Heaven. So. <laughs> oh, it's a real bummer. It's a, that's a downer episode. Everything that Armin Shimmerman does with, with dealing with the uprising is great. Oh, he's yes. fantastic. Well, he's fantastic. From top to bottom, Armin Shimmerman knocks, knocks his performance <laughs> off. We get to see a lot of shades of Quark yes. here. Yeah. You know, and there's been a run here this season where Quark has been a quasi-good guy. And this returns him back to zero. Yeah, like he's just a huge you know, dick for the first two thirds of this. And it's, yes, that scene where he has re, his his brother asks him, "I'm your brother. Please reconsider this." And he goes through that little that little bit of reconsider <laughs> reconsidering. I mean, that's some cold shit, like, right? Yeah, there. And then Rom's like, "What are you? Come on!" And he's like, "Listen here, motherfucker. You're at work. You're not my brother." The only thing I regret. Is not being an only child. Because, yeah, I mean, then they go even back to a little bit about that long day's journey in the court dynamic mm-hmm. with him and Rom, especially at the back half of this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, where, yeah. After they, yeah. It, it, it is it is interesting, but ultimately going to be unsatisfying if it's just Rom versus Quark. Right. So pretty soon they bring in. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like it's like getting ice cream on top of cake here. They bring yeah. in Jeffrey Combs. Oh yeah. <laughs> FCA. Star Trek super utility player. Yeah. And we haven't even seen arguably the most famous iteration of Jeffrey Combs in this show yet. Yes, we haven't, yeah. They're doing the hollow quarks before that. Oh doing- yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When you find out that uh that uh, Odo is is a union hater. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's like, oh, oh no, that's that. He represents cops. Yes, basically. yes. Oh, totally, yeah. totally. And, yeah, and, yeah. and that and and the way he deals with that man, and that was some chilling shit right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really, that was really some. You talked about it being woke <laughs> earlier. Odo being all Blue Lives Matter and shit about that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Was straight up chilling. Yeah, right. He's like, oh, oh, listen, listen here. I hate this shit too, but, uh, you know, the boss has got me on a leash now. He says I can't do anything about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't like mobs, he says, which goes back to the, even if we're going to do like deep dive, like the changeling kind of mm-hmm. persecution complex, why, <laughs> why they're all dicks now, because... That's solid. Yeah. Fucked with him. I do think that I do think that if you run a nice takedown of Odo, uh, listen to Woody Guthrie's song about him <laughs> busting opinions. Right. Yeah. You, he's not. But he's not good. Uh, and basically, he, yeah. I mean, o- Odo is supposed to be a good guy. He's framed as a good guy. It's so much of this, but he really he's just as bad as Quark, just in different ways. As far as you know, good guy, bad guy. Mm-hmm. 
That's why they're, that's why they're so interesting together. Well, that's what I like about him is that he's not, I mean, that's the one thing that's a little more nuanced in this episode because it's got a clearly pro-union perspective. But like, you know, I, my growing up, I was like, I was not a big, I was not raised to be a big fan of unions. And it's because of, and it's kind of closer to, you know, Quirks, I mean, Odo's kind of perspectives. Yeah, they're just kind of fucking shit up, you know. I mean, that's the 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 anti-union perspective I was raised in is is a lot more complicated than just like I'm a dick and I don't like unions. But I but that's not worth talking about because it's not really explored on the show. Mm. But the fact that some people just might not agree with it and they like the order and these people are just kind of you know they're obstructing the entrance and they're causing a scene and causing a disturbance on the promenade. They maybe, you know, and he's like, I wish I could do something about it. But Cisco told me I couldn't, in- I could, I can't interfere with their right to free speech or whatever, which is, yeah, that, that's where it gets chilling. But he um, acted yeah. like, it, yeah, because he acted like it was a big pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. Basically the whole reason why this whole union works for ROM is, is because the Federation is kind of let, lying in the weeds, helping him out without him knowing yeah that is true and and that's that is a a workaround for some of the cultural stuff that's built into like so unionizing as a political action it doesn't save the day it's the federation kind of swoops in and and does it behind the scenes for them it's because the federation is essentially playing the role of the of the owner or the manager oh yeah yeah and Quark is literally a middleman because he's renter. He's a renter of the space. He's a renter of the thing. And he and the union or the Federation by backing Rom quietly in just in, in Cisco's office. Oh, yeah. And the way Cisco plays it, it made Rom the only thing then that it allows the enemy or allows the enemy to not be Quark, but to be a pure thug. Well, because. Like in any other situation, like Quark could actually just fire everybody and hire Nausikans or whatever. Well, he tried to replace them with automation. Because yeah, yeah. if they have well. like a. We didn't yeah. talk about that. It didn't work. Yeah, yeah. but that, that's a thing that happened. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that is uh, something helping Rom here and making the plot easier on this episode. Yeah. And then it's also kind of further kind of builds out the federations kind of, you know, they're accepting of the Ferengi values because they can be, because they, they're like, you know, we, we don't ask you for rent. We don't charge you for repairs or maintenance or anything. Mm-hmm. We're being nice to you but just because like we can be this post-scarcity world and we we're, whatever. But you know, if you're going to be a dick here, Oh, we can just start charging you back rent that you never paid uh, for all these fees and and Quark is like what what oh I mean no 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 we'll figure it out and yeah yeah uh, and then also Julian and uh, Miles are sitting on the ho- up on the promenade at the entrance at the top of the promenade that is open away from the strikers uh, watching people go in and making wagers on like no this is a Vulcan is they're definitely on the side of labor not just not just taking not just taking bets they are roughing up picket line breakers <laughs> and then Worf walks up and they're like yeah there's no way a Worf's going in there and then he does and then do you know like uh-uh oh we're gonna go have a talk i can't believe it he's an enter not for long and then they don't chew it they just cut <laughs> Whoop yeah. his ass. And, and then and and oh, yeah. and cisco in that when they're in the brig that scene cisco's great in that and he's like what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> Mr. Worf, do I look like I'm ready for an explanation? It wasn't, it's like, it was a bar fight. It's like, no, we weren't fighting. Like, then explain Julian's face. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, he fell over a table because he's a wimp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that they got in a fight and Julian got, like, O'Brien, O'Brien fought Worf and Julian got well, beat Worf up. Well, Worf insists that it wasn't a fight because if it was a fight, both of them would have been fucked up. Like, to Worf, it really wasn't a fight, I don't think. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you on that. <laughs> well, it, Worf is, even says we're, we're Starfleet officers, we shouldn't have fought. Yeah. We shouldn't have brawled, and then O'Brien's like, come on, man, that wasn't a brawl. But you saw Julian flip over like a little... <laughs> Quark shows up again and says, like, listen, brother, you know, like, we got to calm this down. You know, like, Rom is full, like, revolution now. The workers of the... That's when I think when he quotes the Marx, like... Workers of the world, unite. 
You have nothing to lose but your chains. And then and Quark is just like, man, just what happened to you, man? What the fuck? You're not, you know, like, and it's, and it's not even funny. It's like, it's kind of a touching, it's moving on to their kind of brother relationship where they just don't understand each other anymore. But Quark blew that up at the beginning, At the whenever he explained to them that they're not brothers in the bar, that they're employee and, you know, employer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's a nice callback to that where he explains, like, when we're negotiating, we're not brothers. Right, and then know? he comes in and he's doing the, the Fringy way. He's like, look, you know this isn't sustainable, but let me bribe you. And just stop it. And then, but Rom isn't even taking a bribe. And that's when he's like, man, what happened to you? I don't know you. I don't know you anymore. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'm sorry. And he's full Marxist at that point. And then he, uh, you know, then he's given the whole speech to the rest of the workers. And he's like, you know, my brother tried to bribe me. And the rest of the Fringers are like, well, I mean, did you take it? (laughs) Come on. I would have took it because I'm a friend. And he's like, no, <laughs> we have them on the ropes now, don't you see? Mm-hmm. And they're all excited about actually winning. And then the FCA shows up. I do like that there actually are Ferengis that are in the union or that are in the in the strike. Because you get to see with each of these little beats that puts Rom further away from where he's turning his back on the, the odious elements of Ferengi culture. And, and sort of bra- embracing it, you know, this this yeah. new communist man um, that you get this that the Ferengis get to place. You get to see it in contrast. Right. Where when he like what you're saying that Combs comes in and makes a hard play against them. Right. Well, it's even before then, like Quirk is like, look, man, any means necessary. He's scared because he knows what's going to happen. And then they have the other meeting, and then they quote. Yeah, I'm sorry. The two we have, we get two rules of acquisition in the interim before right where. Oh yeah. Uh, you know. Oh like yeah. Rule two hundred sixty three. Like never allow doubt to tarnish your lust for latinum. Come on, we have to follow this. You know, it's like we have to follow through on the strike. And then Grimp or something is like, yeah, but your brother also knows rule two hundred eleven, which is employees are the rungs on the ladder of success. Don't hesitate to step on them. And he's like, well, he's my ex-brother. He's not my brother anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but then when Liquidator Prince comes in, the one Ferengi just mm-hmm. collapses in such a such a beautiful little sort of show of cowardice and uh, just stays there. And then you get to see, yet again, that's another sort of reflection of, of Rom where you get to actually see yeah, he's like, him be strong, that he doesn't yeah, collapse at all. After and, being threatened and, to be, you know, like, I'm going to throw you off the spire of the Tower of Commerce displayed around the marketplace below and shoved off one by one and children will bet on your leavings. The children are going to bet on where you're going to land and and then, then they'll feed your mulch to the gree worms. And I mean, and then the, the subservient bowing Ferengi is like, I'll push them off myself if you save me. Yeah, like you're saying, Rom is like totally strong about it. Like, yeah, he's like, well, we're not on Frank and are you can't. And then he's like, well, I can freeze all of your accounts and punish your family. Right. And so basically take away all of your wealth. And then Rom is very quick with the line, like with the one guy who, who takes that as serious. He goes, you wouldn't be a waiter if you had wealth. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he makes up a good point. Is, yeah, yeah. Like, well, and it, it's necessary because it's a it's a culture where, you know, success is valued you know business success is valued the most mm-hmm. and so you see a lot of people who own moons and who are constantly working deals and then you've got like people in the middle like quark or near well who who's not the lowest of the low but he's not he doesn't own a moon and then you've got guys you have to have some people at the bottom right right and that's what we get to see yeah. The waiters. But you have this idea that that um, the waiters still think they have a skin. Like, I don't want to say they still think that they're on some oh, no. sort of pathway to success. Right, right, right. They're embarrassed millionaires. The Mark Twain, the Mark Twain quote. Yeah. Where they're not, <laughs> and we've, they're yeah, not sorry, poor, yeah. they're just embarrassed millionaires. <laughs> yes, yes. And me and you've talked a lot about how there's a lot of people in society these days that feel like that they're upper middle class. And they feel like they've established some sort of success in life. But really, like the system, like 
they're like I, I think I said to you one time they're they're one cancer diagnosed away from sucking dick under an overpass for fentanyl. Right. And I think that like the, the Ferengis are are these Ferengi waiters are that. Right. They think that they're upper they think that they're on some pathway to success, but really they're just being like manipulated by a bigger system. Watching Rom realize that and lead people, yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's 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 fun. It's fun and good. Yeah. Do you want to be on your knees like Frul or stand tall like Sean O'Brien? Sean O'Brien. <laughs> and then they rally, and then uh, Lita Lita takes Rom walking back, and she's like, "Well, I got to go get dinner with Julian," and uh, and he's like, "Oh, you were? Re- I never, kn- I always knew you were strong." He's like, "Really?" It's like, "Well, no, I didn't." But you were really brave in there, um, and Julian. I got to go di- get dinner with him. He he's he he's almost as brave as you are, which just goes back to Julian wants to be a hero, but he ain't. And uh, and I do I do think that you have. Well, I mean, I do think that you saw some legitimate chemistry between them. Yeah, there's a lot of relationships that just get little incremental steps. Nothing gets in-gamed in this episode, and then we have an even nicer quirk. Who's just like at this point he just doesn't want Brunt to kill his brother, really. Yeah, I think that that's what like I think it's clever for the writers is to not keep Quark in the villain role. Yeah, yeah. But now he's like as a victim of the situation too. Right. And so like he gets to be That was like, a clever yeah. chart. And yeah, and then like, look, I was just trying to look out for you. I was trying to make you a better Ferengi. Like how? I was like, come on. And then and Rom is not by he's like, <laughs> fuck you, man. So at this point then Liquidator Brunt is sort of laying out to Quark mm-hmm. his next move. And he can't uh beat the shit out of Rom or kill Rom because that would make Rom a martyr and strengthen the the right. casino union. Right. And so then he goes, then he teases out beating and killing, uh, beating up Lita, which, which is, which is too icky for the show to go to. Like, but it was, yes. it was threatening. Like David Simon's DS9. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, that would be a super great show, by the way. And then, and like the one moment in the meeting way back where he's just like squeaked out by her wearing clothes, he sees her in there and he's like, ew. Then he, then he, then he makes the more... I'm just gonna beat the shit out of Quark. Yeah, they've shattered his eye socket. They shattered my his eye socket, broke two ascending ribs, and punctured his lower lung. But of course, with this medicine now, it's like it's just like with last week's episode. It's like we've uh, we've you were almost killed. You'll be fine in 15 minutes. And this is where you have a pretty great scene. Like I, I think that this scene was pretty. And and Ron doesn't even give a shit. I mean, he does. He's like, oh my god. He feels but like like they could have killed me. And then Ron's like, yeah, well, Ron's a G man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that you're supposed to think when when he says that you're not my brother, you're my employee. That really did that hurt him. Yeah. Like Ron became a different. That totally retrained how Ron was going to approach Quark. So even in this point, he's like, fuck you. You're my boss. Like. You're the guy that's working against my interests and you got beat up. Right, right. Mm. <laughs> you know, how am I supposed to feel bad about this? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, I wish you'd told, I wish Brunt knew that before I right. got the shit beat down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was yeah. a great little line. It makes Quark then have to be the, which is what you always want, which is what like you kids are for, where you force yeah, the yeah. other guy to move. And that's what it does, where Quark is like, yeah, I like, can't. 2,000 years of. Ferengi tradition. Of course, I'm afraid of the FCA. What are you talking? About? They're going to toss us out of the nearest airlock, man. Come on. Yeah, I can't be. I can't be conceived as. I can't. I like yeah. my law can't be conceived as capitulating to you, and you won't stop forcing this. So, like, they come up with this like covert solution to where the union. Right, but even there's some bargaining because he's like, "Look, just pretend we'll to dissolve the union, and I'll just meet your demands." Well, it's a par- it's a really powerful statement about how the powers that be will do anything to maintain the status quo and not allow disruption mm-hmm. with their with their power structure. Mm-hmm. Because even after he sets it up, he's like, yeah. And then in six months, you know, I'll give you your raises. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, well, I can't be seen. Yeah. He goes like, I know you cheat on books. Just fake the ledger like you always do. And they, 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 they'll never know. So like every dumb, uh, management decision made on, uh, made out of like five seconds of greediness. Uh, they all reach a conclusion right at the same time that the Bajoran fasting, (laughs) like Ramadan is over. 
And so, like, the business is booming regardless well, of the I, strike I saw, or not. I thought they were kind of trying to make a different point. I mean, you're right. That's part of it, too. But, like, I don't know if this is the point. But also, like, Lita, like, oh, you're, you're, and she's like, oh, go to the doctor. And she's like, she's happy. Better at her job. And yeah. she's a better worker because she's, and it's like, like, oh, yeah, of course I'm in a good mood. I got a raise. And like, but she's making, she's doing, she's, she's a better worker because she's, you know, well compensated and happy about it than if she were just bitching about her low, mm-hmm. you know, I, I felt like they were making an, a, also a thing. That's like, true. Oh, yeah. when you're, when your people are happy. You're going to get better work out of them. Well, they can't show the workers. They can't. Yeah, because the the other side of that coin is you can't show the workers getting everything they want and then sitting around on their ass in their yeah, empty bar. Which is, which <laughs> yeah. is somehow that's a lot of unions do work that way. Talk about the, you know, Teamsters and no, a yeah, lot I agree. Of people, a lot of New York. City Union guys, I'm gonna call. I'm calling you out. <laughs> Look. I was just tell a quick story about that, uh, specifically with Teamsters. I was uh, having to do a thing where I was working with the uh, city cleanups in St. Louis with the city workers, or with the street workers, and the cleaners have to get off the street by two thirty because it's traffic, but they they're guaranteed forty hours. <laughs> so there's like an hour and a half where they literally just sit and play cards. Yeah, like all of the street workers, they have to be on site, but they and they but they're working, but they have nothing to do, and they're just yeah. they're playing cards and smoking. Um, and, and at first, part of me wants to like you know the Protestant white boy that I am, like part of me wants to bristle at that, but the other part is like that's fucking awesome. Yeah, like I don't know, like like why is that bad? I don't know. Well, like that, yeah, that, I mean the argument is that it's bad when it. <laughs> It lowers productivity so much that we're not making enough money to support these lavish lifestyles that the unions want. I don't know. I thought that like the the auto workers union had the plan where if you if you walked into a factory at age eighteen because they didn't have a college degree, if you worked thirty years on the line, you could retire with full pension. I understand that's probably not sustainable at the time with the way the financing works there, but that that when you could walk out of a, a job at forty eight, yeah, a hard job, a fucking hard job. But if you walk out a job at 48 with full pension retirement with the rest of your life in front yeah. of you, that's a future to fight for. What I get bitter about is is CEO, I mean, hey, let's get all political now, is like compensation of the higher-ups with golden parachute. And like, you know what? I mean, because if like a, v, if a CEO or CFO of a lot of these corporations um, would just, even if they didn't take a bonus, I could get paid a grand more a year. And, you know, like, which would be a big deal for me, which is a yeah, piss in right. the bucket for them. And just because of, mm-hmm. you know, the way that it, it salaries at the top have inflated over the years. If you just brought the, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I, that's where I get my pitch for it. Let's, let's be honest. The, the, the numbers, have, the numbers have dictated the problem with productivity with wages in America are not unions. Yeah. It's the bosses. Right. Go look at like go look at wealth dis- uh, distribution. We haven't gotten to court quitting his job oh, yet. I mean, Rom. That's a big deal. And this is sort of the yeah. culmination of the actual oh. like. Oh, and then Kira the emotional to- plot. It yeah. wasn't just a story about a union. It was a story about a, two brothers going through a change in their the nature of their relationship to end up at a more healthier well, place. Well, and it's also yes. a culmination of work that they've been doing with Rom having untapped potential. Right. You right. Know, and he's uh, so. Uh, yes. on, He's so proud. Yeah. He's like, I've wiped my last table. I've mixed my last black hole. But, you know, I'm a diagnostic and repair tech junior grade night shift, which is like minimum wage job. But he's so excited about it. But but you know what? The Federation yeah. pays a lot better for that kind of shit. And it's what he wants to do. You know, it's what his yeah. natural aptitude is for. And so he doesn't have to be, you know, he's learned, like he said, that he said that I learned that I'm better without you. And Quirk is honestly in his own way, trying to take care of his brother to make him a better Ferengi, Ferengi. And he's a little bit worried to not have him there. Also, probably he likes taking it, you know, we all like beating up on our little brothers and shit. But yeah, I do think that that probably authentically Quark looked at himself as George to Rom's Lenny. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's like an authentic thing. And, you know, Lenny, if it turns out that Lenny's got strengths in other areas, so... Right. And and then you don't have to, Ron you points don't have to out, like, we've joked around in the podcast of, like, how we wanted the whole Quirk and Rom dynamic in the first couple of seasons, especially to be, like, 
It would be great if in every episode Rom was coming up with a scheme to kill his brother to get the bar. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and then and then Rom even points out, like, listen, you know, like the only thing I had going for me when I was working for you was like you dying and me inheriting the bar. That's all I had to look forward to. But you know what? You're my brother and I you know, I don't I don't want you to die or whatever, you know, like so I was mm-hmm. like you know, it's like, look, I'll be fine. Yeah, I do think that that was a, yeah, because I feel like that we probably thought that they dropped that whole first season dynamic of Rom trying to kill Quark all the time. Yeah, yeah. And then now they pay that back is like he was, like I felt like that was the my lot in life. Right. I felt like that, that I had was, to do that. That was how he would be a good Ferengi, and even Quark mm-hmm. acknowledges, is you know, when he. And then one of those episodes, at least, where he's like, you were trying to kill me? Oh, I've father would be so proud. You know, like, that's the right thing to do as a good Ferengi. But it's like, you know what? Rom doesn't want that kind of life for himself. And Quark doesn't want to die, ultimately. <laughs> but So everything about that was enjoyable to see. And, and it's moving the... That's sort of the thing that I like most about Deep Space Nine that I think that weaker shows don't do. Is that they, uh, weaker shows will establish a dynamic... Uh, Rom has secret superpower, super tech powers, um, which is which is a useful asset. But he's always going to be browbeaten by his brother because that's what this culture dictates. And a normal show would keep that there forever, because to upset that is to take away a, a successful bit for the show. Um, and for this, actually paying it off and changing it, you know. It's more rewarding, and I think that that's where where we always try to reflect back on the golden age of television and how this was a precursor to that. That's something that they've learned, mm-hmm. is that changing the character's course in life and not just replaying them for already established bits over and over again, um, it, it's a sense of rewarding. It's rewarding. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's nice that they did that, and it, it feels, you know, outside of another otherwise successful episode because of but I liked because of politics and otherwise you actually just get at the end of the day, it's just a really good ROM quark episode. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So the rewatch meter, um, I'm going to go ahead and go first because I never have a high number, but if I was going to pick like five episodes to rewatch, this would be a number like, this would be one of them for me. This hits pretty much. This is like top to bottom. Great to watch. So I'd give it a 10 on my personal rewatch meter. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. Unless I'm going out of my way to skip Ferengi episodes, which some people might do, but I like Ferengi episodes, so I won't. So, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't deal with the Dominion arc or anything quite so much, but, you know, like I might, if, if I'm in a rewatch where I'm not doing the whole show, I might be in a Dominion rewatch or a Ferengi rewatch. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a Ferengi thing, it's a definite, you have to watch this. Yeah, and if it's just about the characters in the show, I'd also put it like at a nine point five or a ten, just because this is the episode that sends Rom on it. Like the same way we had the one Nog episode that was the turning point in his arc, this is really the turning point for Rom's arc. I agree. Yeah, no, no, no. this. Yeah, this is a this is a ten for me. I, I even I think it's a top five episode of the series for me. So I thought it was I thought it was pretty great. Um and I, yeah, it was, it's, it's pretty damn satisfying. It also, like, I didn't say this, like, it's the first time that I en- purely enjoyed the Julian O'Brien dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something. I thought that's that they amazing. used them well as these little sort of commenters throughout that get involved. Yeah. That, so I think that that was, that worked, it worked well here. All right. That's good. That's interesting. So, point. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I think that's where you guys want to guess on where we are on the IMDb voters. Um, eight point five. I'm in the eights. Uh, I'm going to go lower. We'll say eight point two. This one has six hundred and seventy-seven votes, which is a little bit above average, and it is a seven point three. Fuck. Yep. All right. That we just we have established that we're yes, more liberal than our Iris Stephen Bear is completely right about the right leaning Star Trek audience. They're a bunch of dicks. <laughs> Fuck them. What is the irritation with it? Even okay, is it? I mean, other other than political, what is the 
what is the irritation I, with the episode? I get it with the Bajoran episodes that I like. That I think I think it's all the political. I mean, honestly. again, it's just, uh, uh, the IMDb voters. You've got uh, out of the 677 voters, uh, 523 of them are, are male, yeah. and 62 of them are female. I don't know, man. Yeah, I don't know what it is about that demographic that doesn't seem to like like it, but. Yeah, I think it's. Is there any written? Is there any written critiques on Plankton it? Rules? Uh, who we know ha- is a right leaning person yeah. likes this episode. So, yeah. and and it's not really a review as much as it's just a recap. I mean, his his reviews aren't really reviews; they're just recaps. <laughs> right. This one from Tweakums from the United Kingdom gave it a seven out of ten. Ten and his review says Rom quotes Marx. <laughs> that's the name of his. See, that's what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Classic Star Trek fans don't like Deep Space Nine. I think that's what it, like. Oh, it's it's the same as like they don't go anywhere. Oh, they're not talking about the Federation. Oh, I hate the Bajoran episodes. Oh, I hate the Ferengi episodes. I mean, even yeah, that's true too. Even Iris Stephen Bear has gotten enough backlash to where in interviews he's come out and said. Yeah, I guess I did too many Ferengi episodes. I guess if I had to do it, they I wrote a lot of shitty Ferengi episodes. Yeah, like the, I yeah. mean, like, the, like I'm with, I'm with, like right. there are, there's a lot of dog right. shit right, in right. These Ferengi episodes, oh, and I'm pretty sure so. Iris Stephen Bear. I mean, he doesn't mince words when he feels strongly about stuff. He'll be like, fuck you guys sometimes. Yeah. And I feel like this is probably an episode he's probably stands by. I bet. Oh, he loves this episode. Yeah. He loves it. So. All right. Well, what do you guys think? Should we wrap this baby up? Well, I guess I, I usually well like next week. Next week we have an episode called "The Ascension," where Cisco and Deep Space Nine meets uh, the emissary. All right, we're back on hmm. that tip, aren't we? They meet another emissary. I guess right. I should say. Ooh, oh, right, right. There's power in the factory, power in the line, power in the hand of the worker. But it all amounts to nothing if together. Exploited long enough. It's time to be strong. Take control of our lives, our dignity, and our profit. All right. We have a quick email here from a guy we haven't heard from in a while. Remember, Franklin from Jacksonville. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just (laughs) all he says, I'll read it real quick. Did y'all make a conscious decision to change the robo voice? Because the last two episodes, it's hard to understand. Uh, great job. I haven't had anything to email about in a while, Franklin and Jax. Look, look, and we've had other people look, look. like say that they, they hated the robot voice for the last two weeks. And that wasn't the robo voice. Uh, it was his brother. Look, yeah. Look, guys, sometimes robo voice needs to go on vacation. <laughs> and, and maybe, and, and maybe and his the brother person came that was in there, to, and, and maybe robot voice forgets to do a couple in advance. And so therefore has to like uh, text Wade late at night <laughs> and say, oh, Who fuck. Knows? I'm sorry. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're pulling, you're pulling back to kimono. I thought I, I said you up did. A perfect in universe <laughs> continuity of robot voice. It's, it's the, his brother. The original robot <laughs> robo voice will be, be back soon. Yeah. I have never literally like no one's commented on robo voice for like a year now. <laughs> right. So who gets and a so shit? It's one yeah. of those where I'm just, I, I really just think that I'm shouting in the desert, but it's one of those things that. Everyone ignores it till it changes. Yeah, yeah. I used to work hard on those. Now I not so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Robot voice used to work hard on what he says. <laughs> I worked real. I mean, his brother worked very hard, and nobody appreciates See, you know, it. Here's the thing: sometimes and, when you loosen your grip on something, it gets better. Uh-huh. It's like it's like it's sure. like I was in third place in my fantasy baseball league from like April to the all-star break i was either in like sixth place or third place and i had spreadsheets and and i was charting things at like bar graphs i'm not i'm not shitting you i had a lot of time <laughs> after the all-star break i was like you know what i'm gonna stop doing all this homework 
I'm going to go on my gut. I'm just going to watch the ball games. I'm going to fuck, fuck the spreadsheets. I'm, I'm going to stop keeping track of all my moves. And I, and I won the whole thing. And I think it's because I loosened the grip on it a little bit. I wasn't overthinking as much. So maybe, yeah, you know, you, you're just in the, you're in the, you're in the groove right now with a robot voice. And, um, and he's hitting that sweet spot for everybody. And that's why you're not hearing feedback because it's yeah. hitting that sweet spot. You know, when you're doing everything right, you really don't hear yeah. about who knows. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap this up. But if you have feedback on that robot voice that you want to tell us about, <laughs> uh, let us know. Yeah. Give us a call at 917-408-3898. Say what the fuck is that? Ro that robot like voice is a sexist asshole, and it's making me feel uncomfortable. So, or like, like for instance, uh, they rejoined. Uh, there was was that the episode? Was that the gay kiss episode? Yes. Rejoined. I went and found all of this Sappho poetry, <laughs> like okay. robot voice did, and put it in there. <laughs> but no, it's fine. We're good. We're all good. <laughs> I, I I still have a big. Nobody. I want some. I wanted somebody to say, "Hey, I I noticed that you had the cure." Yes, I had the cure. Lyrics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a favorite. Yeah. All right. We're good. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of Easter eggs. There's a lot of little things and details you're missing in that. Uh, anyways, yeah. Give us a call about it. Nine one seven four zero eight three eight nine eight. Tweet at us at Acquisition Pod. Email us at rules of acquisition podcast at gmail.com. Anybody got anything else to plug? Uh, uh, if they want to check out my comic strip, they can check it out at crimes against humanities.tumblr.com. Every day, new strips. Check it out. That's it for me. My YouTube video, my YouTube channel, Forever James's political things. Uh, also, I have a Patreon there. You can check that out if you're interested. Oh, yeah. Uh, I should have a video out in. Two weeks. Two weeks. Actually, this might actually be true. Uh, <laughs> I was almost on the verge of getting one out before I went on vacation, and then I hated it. So, like, now it's a back to the drawing board thing. So I hate it when that happens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know what that means. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, some, all right. Some things go in a drawer for a reason. Yep. Yep. You. Yeah. And, and that's the. Oh, you oh, get yeah. the. That's that's age. Is when you get back and you go like. <laughs> fuck it this is this is nope. this is gone like this is well, like i don't, I, I don't have yeah. to like i don't have to make every idea i get i don't have to make something for yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right sorry that's a different podcast but speaking of uh patreons yes. uh you can find us and support the po podcasts that we do at patreon.com slash kickers of elves we have a lot of uh extra bonus materials longer audio kind of podcast stuff We'll get more podcasts later and also the Discord server where we talk a lot of Trek and, and other stuff. It's a good little community growing over there. So yeah, it is. It and there's a lot of there's a lot of it's not just talking about DS9 or there's a lot of different things going on there. It's fun. It's pretty fun. Yeah. And it's one of those things where we're just kind of like it's it's like it's it's, it's a seedling. Yeah. So like there's a lot of things we can start doing with this. So it's fun. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of its own. Yeah. It's it's kind get of it on the ground floor. Pretty cool. All right. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. We hope you join us next week on the Rules of Acquisition. Three to be out. Do you know the cunt weasels that run this show have a call in line, where you can express your DS9 wishes and DS9 dreams into their ear holes? They will play them on air and try to be nice to you, because one day they hope to sell you Blue Apron snacks and underwear made out of Modal. The number is 917408. 3898 that number again is 917-408-3898. You will probably want to talk about how hot Dax and Bashir are, that is great. These pretentious asses also love it when people say they are wrong. So feel free to do that. James will probably go off on a knowingly obtuse rant about construction issues or political sophistication we know you love that. Again 917-408-3898. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes. <laughs>